Hello and welcome to Tonebenders, where we talk with the sonic artists behind our favorite films, games, and series. My name is Tim Muirhead, and I will be with you on this epic quest as we discuss God of War Ragnarok with the audio team that just picked up Best Audio Design at the Game Audio Awards. That's so amazing. My co-host for this talk is Mark Kilborn. Mark, how are you today? I'm great. Excited to be here. Awesome. So, Mark, let's set up our listeners and get us up to speed with where Ragnarok finds us. So God of War Ragnarok takes place several years after the events of the previous game. The great winter has set in, signaling that Ragnarok is coming. And as with the previous game, Kratos and his son Atreus are doing their best to prepare for the coming war. So uh, now that we're up to speed, let's meet our amazing roster of guests for this episode. Uh, first up, joining us from Vancouver, we have Mike Kent, Ragnarok's supervising sound designer. Welcome to Tonebenders, Michael. It's great to meet you. It's great to meet you too. Thanks for having us. Uh, next up, we have Brian Higa, who is the player pillar lead. Brian, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having us. I'm really excited to be here. Cool. Uh, Bo Jimenez stood as the game's AI cast pillar lead. What a fun gig. Bo, it's great to meet you. Great to meet you. Excited to be here. Also with us is Alex Previty, world pillar lead on this project. No small task. Alex, welcome. Hello, hello. And finally, we have Stephen Shapler joining us from San Diego. Stephen served as the Interacts and Puzzles Pillar Lead. Stephen, I'm so glad you're here. Great to see you. Hey, great to be here and talk about the game. Yes, so let's talk about the game. This game is absolutely mammoth in scale. Uh, let's start with you, Michael. Can you talk us through when you got on board, what you were most looking forward to, and maybe what had you sweating buckets as the scope came into focus for you? Yeah, you know, like I, I came on about three years before it shipped. And yeah, it, like getting on this project is, you know, it's always been a dream of mine to work on a God of War project. Uh, so early on, we, you know, we, we got on and we started concepting stuff with the game director. And really the game in itself, God of War, is one of the most challenging games I've ever worked on, but the most rewarding. Everything in it is a challenge. Everything has to be larger than life. Everything has to be boombastic. Everything has to be, you know, the top of the quality bar. So just in general, I feel like the game itself was a challenge but overall like i think early on is what what we did is um we, we concepted a lot so we concepted a lot like in regards to creatures puzzles uh everything uh worlds everything and what we did is um basically from that those concepts and working with the game director came up with in unique designs for everything and then the team you know filled out everything else so yeah it was good so looking at the credits of the game and playing the game you know it's clear this was a big task. Um, and you also had a pretty big team. I'm curious, you know, roughly how big was your team and how did you organize so many people to get this job done? Oh, that's an amazing question. I actually have this information in preparation for this. <laughs> Excellent. He came prepared. Uh, so we had 72 people in sound design, tech sound design, and Foley. So there was 47 people at SMS, PSS, 21 people at Sweet Justice, two Foley artists, and uh, two Foley editors, a Molinaire and Formosa. It was a huge, we had two Foley artists, a mixer at Formosa, Sweet Justice, 21 people, massive. And dialogue, we had 15 people at PSS and 12 more editors outside of that. Uh, and then music as well as has their own numbers, but it was massive and we needed everybody. There was just that much game. It was, it was crazy. I also want to add, hi, this is Brian. I just also wanted to add that we had support from our friends at Boom Library. They gave us a lot of great recordings uh, early on in the project and throughout the project. Wow. Okay. So that's a huge team. It's even bigger than I thought. Um, so how did you organize this effort? Uh, you know, how do you keep track of what 72 sound designers are doing? 
That was a very good challenge. And it's kind of comes down to a system that both our manager, Jeremy Velo, and myself had developed over the years at Bioware. Uh, one of the things is uh, the idea of a pillar lead or pillar system, which these guys are all, all took a section of the game, became experts in that section. And they had small teams underneath them leading those sections. So, so Bo was leading the creatures. Brian was leading the player. Steven was leading puzzles. Alex was leading the world stuff. We also had uh, GPMs, which is uh, gameplay moments, which is the in-game cinema. And then basically Alex and I took on reviewing uh, all the cinematics, which Sweet Justice was involved in with Eric Williams, the game director. And we took that that on as well. So, so having your, your key pillar owners and having people under them to, to work in those pillars allows you to not only, um, you know, it's easier to manage, but it also allows you to uh, expand quickly because you're like, oh, we need four people on a creature's team. We can add those people. We need, you know, X amount of people on this pillar. We can add those people to that pillar, right? Uh, and it kind of like separates the work a bit. It's a little more easy to manage. Plus, you know, like Sweet Justice, for most I was there for like, a lot of the sessions for the for the recording of the cinematics but sweet justice obviously managed it themselves like anything that we we're sending over the fence to them they, they would take care of them themselves uh and in regards to yeah like sweet justice you know you're getting good back so it was relatively simple and then yeah that's it and then the cinematics was just a bunch of us doing that and in terms of dialogue and music they had their own systems too for handling all that stuff Bo, did you want to add to that I kind of wanted to jump in and just talk about what Mark, what you were saying with the team size. Truly, there's not many things in this game that one person touched. I feel like kind of in the same way that the developer of Sony Santa Monica works is, you know, multiple people can touch one kind of feature. And yeah, for audio, the amount of times where someone started something and then someone else finished was, was often. There's a lot of cross-pollination, which is really awesome because, you know, you, you truly feel like one unit, one team that's trying to, you know, hit a goal or hit a, hit a quality bar. And yeah, it, it was really special. But yeah, so for my um, for my pillar, it's essentially the AI cast. So that includes all the companions like Ingrid, the floating sword through all the cast that's with you, uh, specifically fighting with you, right? That's the stuff that I was trying to overlook here. And then of course the enemy cast, which all the, a lot of stuff from 2018 uh, put into God of War Ragnarok, like the Draugr and all those uh, enemies uh, that you've seen before. But, you know, an entirely new cast of mini boss types and you know we call them a b c class but like d class is is the smaller guys that when you do a finisher you can fling them up in the air and they're all shared awesome animations for each weapon type and then the big the big boys you know the big dragons and the big elite enemies that are the more difficult uh, bosses to fight as well as the narrative boss for us were definitely super fun like mike did the bulk of the thor stuff with all the transitional cinematic moments which are just like some of the most epic awesome moments in the game you know i helped out with all the garm stuff the giant wolf and yeah super super gratifying and one thing about this studio too uh sony santa monica is when you're looking at the screen, you go, wow, that's what I'm that's what I'm going to work on. <laughs> you feel kind of humbled. You, you feel like this is really special. It, I mean, it's it's filmic. It's cinematic. It's it's like, you know, movie people would look at this and go, God, this I would love to do this. This 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 is this looks incredible. Right. So we feel really grateful that we get to work on on these games. But yeah. Overall, like my job, you know, was just to ensure quality across just the cast and make sure that when you're fighting those enemies that they should give you chills. They should make you feel like I don't want to mess with this thing or or even even the opposite right like it, there's the cave dweller family where the little the little guys scuttle around and they shouldn't be terrifying but they should kind of be a little annoying because their gameplay is annoying but then of course yeah when you get to you know dragons giant wolf thor's hammer there are sounds that make should make you feel like this sounds like just energy it sounds like power i'm <laughs> 
I need to be on my guard here. You know, that's, that's what we're trying to do with the sound for it. So that one of the things you mentioned was that Mike had worked on the sound for something. And, you know, one of my first thoughts upon hearing again, the size of this team was if I were supervising this, how would I have any time to make anything? Cause I would be sitting there listening all day long, every day, giving feedback. So Mike, how did you balance those two things? Basically it became down. I trusted my pillar leads. They had full trust in what they were expected to deliver. So I trusted them. So Bo had full authority to make sure that the content in the creatures was good enough or as good as it can be uh, and everybody else. Right. So, so that's the thing is I think the, the key to the pillar owner system is to not bottleneck yourself. Right. In right. the end, I would pick things like we we're playing the game. You'd hear things. Oh, that's not up to quality. We would fix it as we went, but it, it did free me up some time. And it was, I did work nights to get, because I was like, I got to work on Thor. <laughs> So it was a passion, passion project for me as well. But again, it is trusting your team and, and making sure that they have the power to do to do their job, right? And again, too, is we had such strong leadership on the SMS side. Eric Williams, he's such an amazing director that he would just, he was given the vision and stuff. So it just allowed me to do more actual work too, right? So so overall, the team, the, S, the team on the SMS side is incredible, like everybody on that team. So yeah, it was good. One one other task I had was the cinematic finishers, and that's when an enemy's fully staggered. You have the R three prompt, go and ahead, you go up and either damage them if their health is too high, or if their health is low enough, if it hits that threshold, then you get a very cinematic, awesome death for that enemy. And in this game, there's weapon specific, so you know we could do spoilers. So you get a, an awesome spear in this game that I hope Mike talks about because he did an insane job at making the spear sound like novel, iconic, and incredible. Um, but yeah, so it's really cool because there's weapon bespoke kills for this for this game for all the, for the uh, enemies. The, the big challenge there was we wanted gameplay to feel awesome. The combat loop needed to feel really good. But right when you hit R3, we want to send you to just overhyped, crazy, wild, like a, a film. So all that was designed in 5.1, very, very filmic design, you know. Like a lot of the impact in center channel, making LFE tight and impactful, having the rears kind of like, swell with energy and fly through the LCR. Like we wanted to make sure that it felt super satisfying that when you finally get that kill, it's just like, yes. So anyone playing in surround, I hope you ap appreciated all, our, all of our work in uh, uh, with multi-channel uh, content. Also, Mark, a good point to kind of bring home and it's something Bo talked about earlier. This is Mike, by the way. I didn't do all of Thor by myself. Like early on, I was like, I want to work on Thor, but I knew my time was limited. So I asked Sweet Justice to fill out a lot of the stuff. And I worked with Sweet Justice on getting the, the content for a lot of the lightning and stuff down. Then I added to it later. So essentially what we did is Sweet Justice did the first pass. I would go and do a second pass. And then our Foley team at PSS also recorded a bunch of stuff for me from the Foley to the, to the tonal bits of the hammer, all that stuff. And then I was able to manipulate that and bring that back in and have this great source and palette to work with. So so it was a team effort all around for sure. This is Brian. I just wanted to piggyback what Mike was saying, how everyone on this team just felt empowered. We just kind of relied and trusted that everyone was doing their best work. So there was never really a moment where we just had to go, oh, let me make sure that they're doing something right. Or let me go over here and make sure they're doing it right. Everyone just felt like they're bringing their all and we heard it all the time. And so we all just trusted each other from the top down. So Mike trusted us. We trusted the people that we worked with under our teams. And it just, the way that we ran was pretty smooth just because we were all empowered to do our best work. Excellent. So I was going to move on to some questions about the mixing because that really stuck out to me. But Bo said something and now I have to ask, tell us about the spear. 
The spear, oh my god, it was it was so fun to work on. Again, that was during COVID, so we did a bunch of recording. We took the team out, like, really, like, how do we record during COVID, right? Like, we're not even allowed in the studio right now. So we ended up driving out to the middle of nowhere in Bakersfield with the team. We had our masks on, and we just started recording metal hits and tone and all that stuff, and then brought it back to the shop. And then early on with Eric, I just, like, he wanted it to have a feel of, it's like combustion and air, like wind. So it's wind, like, because you got the blades, they're fire, you've got ice for the axe. So this is more of a wind-based thing. So so the idea was, like, it had to sound unique. So finding the tone was the, the thing we had to do first and finding that tonal element. And that was from a lot of, like, just banging on poles, like, hearing, hearing stuff and just, like, and then finding that tone. And once we found it, that carried over. And then just getting really nice wind and debris sounds every time you swing. Fun fact, if you actually are swinging it and you're not hitting anybody, there's a lot more detail in it. So, so if you're swinging it, do it without hitting enemies. You'll hear a whole bunch of detail. And then when you start hitting enemies, it like goes more visceral. It's pretty cool. So check it out. Brian? I wanted to talk a little bit about the weapons if we're talking about the spear. Well, yeah, one of the cool things about this project was, yeah, we, we are introducing a new weapon for Kratos to weld. One, I think one of the challenges that I wanted to, to make sure that we achieve as a team is that each weapon has its own identity and sound. So the goal was to push each weapon further into the direction of a, a certain style because, you know, we, we were working off the backs of giants from the last game. They made amazing sounds from for the, the axe and the, the blades. And there's so much history with those weapons. So we just wanted to make sure like, okay, let's take their history and just push it for it. Let's just push it to the extreme. So like for the axe, we wanted to keep the core sound of that, but we wanted to add more frost, more ice, make the actual blade feel serrated or rough, you know, just more gruff in general. While the blades, we wanted to keep that kind of clean sound to them, but we also wanted to highlight the chains and the fire elements to them. And then, of course, the spear, like Mike mentioned, we had the wind debris, some of the rocks. And also, like, there's just this metal clean tone to it that had a different voice compared to the other three. So I think one of the cool things that we achieved really well is that we were able to have each voice for every weapon have its own distinct voice throughout the game. So one of the things that struck me in the first few minutes of playing the game, aside from the fact that I was really sad about a certain scene I'm not going to talk about because spoilers for anybody who hasn't played it, but man, that game started rough. Anyway, one of the things that really struck me right out of the gate was how clear the mix was. The mix of this game is one of the cleanest, most focused things I've heard in, in a game in a long time. This is certainly something you all at Sony have proven yourselves to be very good at listening to your previous games. I'm curious, you know, going into this game, what was your creative vision for the mix of this game? Like, what did you want to prioritize? What did you talk with your creative director about? Like, what was the focus for this? I'll start and I'll let Alex finish because Alex set up a lot of the systems. So I want him to, to chat about that. But overall, it was just to get a clean focus, like you said, clean and focused mix where you can read the battlefield, right? I think because this is such a, a combat focused game, you've got so many enemies that can be running around, causing noise. Everything's like just chaotic and, and huge. So how do you focus that, right? So one of the first things we did is decide that we were going to use the HDR system in Wise. I come from Bioware. We were using the Frostbite HDR system. I'm like, okay, let's let's try this out. So we did. We we ended up overhauling the whole Wise project. And this is including stuff that we didn't have to touch from the previous game. And we ended up getting it all into the HDR system, which is not no small feat. Got that in there. And then Alex pulled over or developed a threat system with the programmers, kind of similar to the Overwatch one. 
basically the combination of these two things ended up being the best thing for combat. Because like, no matter where you were, you were always focused on whatever was attacking you, whether it was a ranged weapon, you would hear it versus like somebody attacking over here. So that was one of the things we did. And then it was just picking our battles, like what is important. And sometimes it's the music would duck out the ambience. You just want to have that motion where it's like, okay, the music comes in and ambient, the ambiences go down. You hear the music and just your brain just, it focuses more onto you. Oh, that's a cool melody or whatever, right? So it's just subtle things like that. A lot of dynamic frequency ducking with the VO, combat sounds, and also, yeah, just those two systems, like the HDR with the with the threat system. And I'm going to let Alex talk more about it because he put a lot of work into this. So I want him to, to kind of talk about it more. Yeah, as for what to talk about, you know, we could talk a very long time about this, so I don't want to completely overshadow the runtime of the podcast. But yeah, there were a lot of really cool ideas, I think, that came from lots of different places. Mike and also Jeremy Voileau, who he worked with at BioWare, had a lot of cool ideas and experience from their time there. And then, you know, Overwatch has done a lot of talks about their stuff, which is super inspiring, and I still find it relevant to this day. I think we all kind of pitched in and had different ideas for how we could kind of focus the mix, because when you have linear media, you know, you have 100% control over the sound in the mix to focus on what you want. And if we're going to be storytelling, or if we need good combat feedback, you know, you kind of want to have as much of that control as possible to kind of shift the spotlight onto what's actually important right now. Whether it's something that's poignant that will sell the emotion or what if it's information you know about something i need to know for a gameplay puzzle hint or what if it's like hey this person's behind me they're going to attack so i think we kind of leverage whatever we could kind of give the player the best information possible so the threat system was really cool a lot of the hardcore work was done by john mccoy at blue point who we were lucky enough to collaborate with on the project we kind of had to look at any setup because in God of War, you know, you're fighting huge hordes of enemies, you know, which is kind of a callback to its kind of hack and slash days. And if you have all the enemies as loud as each other based off of distance or whatever the entire time, it can easily turn into a very cacophonous situation where too much information is actually going to hurt the player more than it's going to help the player. And it's similar to speech how, you know, you can really understand maybe two or three people talking at a time before it kind of becomes like a walla. Same thing with combat. So we kind of had a system to separate enemies into like most dangerous to least dangerous. And we did a lot of stuff with volume, deprioritizing them in HDR and other things to kind of carve out space and mix for only the most important enemies. And this is something that was shifting all the time. So that kind of spotlight system was basically moving its target constantly. And I think we were able to kind of clean up the mix a lot more than would have been possible without it. We probably had too much frequency-based ducking going on. We had like, everything was ducking everything. Music was ducking ambience. VO was ducking sound effects. VO and sound effects were ducking music. It was like this a big Ouroboros of ducking. But the cool thing was, and it's something that Blake Johnson actually gave me the idea for. Um, he's at Insomniac Games right now. But basically what we want to do is, if things are crazy loud, like we're going to need to make room so we can hear these things. But if the game is like really quiet, that ducking is going to be really audible. So we don't really need that. So we kind of had a system set up in WISE to know how loud the game was and to do more ducking the more we needed to duck, if that makes sense, which was kind of cool. And another cool idea that I think Mike told me was being able to dynamically change the ratio of our sound effects bus compressor based off of VO. So basically, if people are talking, it'll change the ratio of the compressor from one, which is nothing, to like whatever it ended up being. I don't remember, maybe three-ish. So basically, when people are talking, it doesn't turn things down, but it just prevents sound from getting too loud so they don't step over the VO. Because in this game, VO is probably the most important thing, right? We want to be make sure we're hearing the narrative okay, making sure we're hearing hints, you know, call-outs. That was a really cool way to kind of 
focus the mix more. And I think everything in combination, we try to not make it too extreme because this is a natural game, has a natural soundscape. We can't be as aggressive as with games like Ratchet and Clank or Call of Duty, where you can have a more punchy, a little more stylized mix. All of these kind of being dialed in subtly, but working together kind of helped kind of push everything to whatever you hear now. And this is Mike again. Yeah. And then we use state mixing for the bigger stuff like Bo's uh, CS kills, like just dropping stuff right out so that we could focus right on that moment. Right. So the combination of those three things, like you've got the HDR, you've got, well, there's more than three things, HDR, dynamic EQ, dynamically changing ratios on compressors, uh, threat system, and then, you know, just state mixing. Also VU metering creatures themselves. Like I know Bo did a lot of that stuff. All that stuff combined is what led to that mix. And then setting up your 3D attenuations is super important. And getting everything living in the world is equally as important. And making sure it's hitting the verb correctly, right? Dialing that in is super important. Sorry, I'm over here having a light bulb moment at modulating compressor ratio. That's it's amazing the things you can do with Wise if you come up with clever ideas like that. All right, so Stephen, this had to be a massive undertaking to make sure everything in the project was organized well and that everybody was putting sounds into the project. How did that process work for the team so that you didn't have a freak out towards the end of the project where you realize you have tons of stuff that's not actually ready to mix? Yeah, totally. So this is Stephen. I can talk a little bit about that. You know, part of it is figuring out what those settings and ranges are going to be well in advance of your actual mix date. So uh, we had a kind of like pre-mixing session or things got too late in the project where we all kind of got together uh, at SMS and Alex uh, and Mike were already doing some exploratory work on like, how much are we going to use HDR? You know, is it going to be, you know, broad strokes? Is it going to be more like a scalpel? What are we going to dial in our values? So they kind of figured that out. And then we all got together looked at our own individual pillars and analyzed like how these values could be most beneficial within our own pillar. So for me, with all the puzzles and the interacts and things like that, I'm looking at like large things moving and also providing the player feedback as to like what's happening with the puzzle. When you press this button over here, like what, it, you know, maybe something is moving, but it's really far down the hallway and, you know, things like that. So um, we would take those values, kind of write them down. We created this. We have a master HDR spreadsheet for the project, which has all the different pillars. It's got all the different buckets of where things should land what their kind of max and min HDR value should be. And like you mentioned, if anyone's ever done an HDR project in WISE, you know it gets kind of finicky, right? Like there's a lot of I's to dot, a lot of T's to cross, and a lot of uh, places where that could go wrong. Um, so a lot of it is just about being very organized and kind of hyper-focused. And then as, you know, as we went through the project, each pillar lead was sort of responsible for maintaining those values in that system within their own pillar and the people that are working underneath you as a pillar lead, you know, you're kind of checking their work occasionally, making sure they understand what the goals and objectives are and what the parameters they should kind of be working within when they're authoring content and adding it into the game. So it's really just kind of being on top of everything and communicating with everybody else in the project and, you know, making sure we're on the same page with the same objectives and goals that we want to achieve with each individual mix system. All right. I've got one other thing I want to ask. So I loved the sound of the spaces within the world. You know, the reverbs that were used all felt very good, unless, of course, they were being pushed for dramatic effect. Uh, what can you tell me about reverbs? You know, if, you, if, you don't, if you're willing to dig into it, did you use convolution or algorithmic or both? How did you create the reverbs for these spaces? Just tell me a bit about your approach there. 
Hello, uh, Alex here again. So yeah, with the reverbs of this game, it was kind of an interesting scenario. Having worked on Demon's Souls before this and it being a PS5 only title, it was really liberating because you have so much memory and you can kind of load whatever you want. <laughs> it doesn't really matter because, you know, the memory budgets were a lot larger with a PS5 exclusive title. With this game, because it was cross-platform between PS4 and PS5, we kind of had to be a little bit more unified in our approach. So we couldn't really go crazy for the PS5, only to realize that we might have to redo a bunch of work for the PS4 because it wouldn't run or it wouldn't load properly, all that stuff. So all of the outdoor reverbs for sure are convolution, because you can't really do that with DSP reverbs at all. It doesn't really sound as good with the kind of effect you need. And I'd say that most of the interior reverbs were actually DSP reverb just because we had so many unique indoor spaces. And if we had unique IRs for all of them, like we would have really jeopardized our sound budget. We had to be pretty lean on that, especially when you take into account the propagation system, because there are so many simultaneous reverbs loaded at a time that if they were all convolution, um, which is quite a bit more expensive than DSP reverb and wise, at least at the time of development for us, it would have been just too much to manage. So I kind of try to do both. The benefit of algorithmic reverb is that you can easily tweak them in real time without having to go re-export a sound and generate sound banks and that whole process. For the outdoor reverbs, I kind of had a mixture of two systems. You know, I would have classic convolution reverb that I would make myself. I mean, I would use recorded impulse responses that are internal to Sony or from other libraries or from my own collection and then bash them together in Reaper to make like what I think sounds good. So a lot of editing and layering and EQing and all that stuff. And that was kind of like the main thing I would do. And we kind of had to genericize it because just for different kind of spaces. But I think what did a lot of the heavy lifting was the early reflection system. Because when you're outdoors, what you really hear is kind of like the slap of building or a tree or a mountain face or whatever. So John McCoy, again at Bluepoint, helped us develop kind of a unique to our project's development, kind of a special early reflection system that's quadraphonic, but it's kind of locked to the four cardinal directions of the world. So it's kind of always probing like every frame to see what's around the player. And it's feeding a custom plugin to kind of manage the delay time, the volume, the EQ and everything. And that was running like 100% throughout the game. Like it was always on. So we think we use that quite a bit. And the more we dialed it in to sound good, the more we kind of turned it up because it actually kind of helped sell the spaces in a lot more of an immersive way than just reverb boxes would. But yeah, that's kind of the gist of it. There's a lot of dialing in, a lot of back and forth. It's a pretty big beast. Really quick, I forgot to shout someone out that Propagation System by Stepan, who's the audio programmer at Santa Monica Studio, and then uh, Charles Dworetz, who's a technical sound designer, they did a lot of awesome work getting all the reverb working in the first place, so none of this would have been possible without their awesome work. I don't know, I could get off topic for hours about this topic, but yeah. It sounds beautiful. <laughs> So one thing I've noticed from following a lot of you on social media is that we have a lot of shared love for a certain DAW by the name of Reaper, which is a bit popular among us game audio folks. I'm curious if you all use it and how you use it. Hi, this is Bo. So yeah, Reaper has become a jewel amongst us. It's an incredible piece of software and little things like putting, you know, real-time effects on, on clips, on items is, is huge. There's just so many things that we love it for. But namely, one of our sound designers, his name's Jeremy Rogers, he, he's at Riot now, but he created a, basically a, a, a plugin that interfaces with Reaper and WAPI, the, the API for WISE. And his goal was to make it so once you finish your sound and you have like your, we use uh, sub projects. So once you have your series of sounds, 
All you have to do is select and then click a button and then it's out of your hands. It's in the end, it's in wise and it can hot reload the game. It's it re yeah, it renames, it will it will put the, the file in perforce, mark it for add, add it to wise, put it in parent uh, objects. It's a solution for having to deal with the need to go into the file explorer, which is which is the goal. The goal is just just simplify, make make things quick. And so iteration was super fast. So, you know, if you heard something in the game, oh, this this one tonal element is hitting the verb to too hot you know you could just go right into uh, reaper turn that tonal element down render the file and then select the files click a button bam it's 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 changed now so that pipeline was incredible um so yeah i think i thank jeremy for his his support on that yeah, alex here actually uh, sorry to interrupt but it was really cool because you know our team ended up being humongous towards the end of production you know like what was it almost 50 sound designers and a lot of them were in wise so in order to have even some semblance of parity with naming conventions and uh organization and everything like this tool like saved so many headaches i could not imagine <laughs> ever completing the project without it so it was definitely a godsend brian yeah, just to add for the project, like our memory budget was very small to begin with. So this tool actually helped us a lot because we got to actually save on voices because instead of, say, implementing maybe five or six layers and having it all in one container or one event, we could just do all that in the Reaper side because it, and it was such it was so easy to go back and iterate and then just export it straight to the game that with that pipeline made it easy for us to basically just print all of it into one file and then put that into WISE. Because usually it's like, oh, you can do your mixing a lot in wise, but we were limited on the budget. So we had to kind of move that and put it into the Reaper side and then make that pipeline as smooth as possible. That is extremely cool. I want it. <laughs> that was great. Thank you very much. Uh, before we uh, did this interview, we threw out on Twitter if anybody had any questions for you guys. And we got uh, quite a few responses. One of them that is from Tobias Carlson. He asked many questions, actually, but maybe this one might go out to Brian here. He wanted to know about the evolution of the Foley from uh, the 2018 uh, up to now, because the Foley seems to be taking a big leap forward. Uh, do you want to expand on that a bit? Yeah. Our goal is that we wanted to completely kind of revamp the Foley set for Kratos. And this included like what he was wearing and also all his footsteps. So one of the things for his footsteps, we wanted to have w much more dynamic based upon the speed that you were going. So we have like intos and outos for walking, for running and for sprinting. And I wanted each speed to feel really distinct. So when you're walking, it's like really soft. When you're running, you get more of a thud. And then with sprinting, you hear a big steps. But then you also hear like the foot kind of lifting off as they're like sprinting forward. We wanted Kratos to have just a little bit more motion compared to the last game. So we worked with Formosa and we, we recorded, I, I want to say, I think it was 22 different surfaces for footsteps. And we had two different, in, including Kratos, we also recorded footsteps for Atreus as well because he was a playable character. So we had to have two different sounds. Like we had to have one that was kind of like, you know, big ring brute of Kratos. And then also just, you know, this teenage boy's footsteps. And of course, his is going to be way more nimble and a little bit more uh, flexible and just fast in general. So yeah, that was one of the cool things that we got to do is just how do we have two different style footsteps uh, for these two different characters, but then also make them sit well with each other when they're kind of running around then be able to go, oh, okay, I can hear Treyas running. So yeah, and then we also recorded more Foley elements for his gear from our friends at Formosa. The cool things that we took from the last game is like, basically, if, if all your uh, weapons are stowed on Kratos' back, uh, we have switch containers set up in Wise to play different sounds for each speed. So there's a walk, run, sprint for every single Foley element. And if you take your axe out, then it switches the axe fully to turn off. 
Uh, and, if you, and then vice versa, if you take the blades out, then you don't hear the blades fully on, on you anymore, but you hear the axe. I think I remember we, they was, that was already set up in the last game. So we just took that and we wanted to make sure that each weapon kind of had a, a very distinct voice uh, along with the combat. We wanted the, the gear and the moving around to feel that same way. Hey, this is Bo. Yeah, real quick, I just wanted to jump in. Our Foley artists, Don, Alicia, and then the Foley mixer, Jeff uh, Gross, they're, you know, incredible artists and they gave us, you know, so much awesome content. But I did want to mention the chief goal was to ensure a parallel with cinematics. Uh, by using them for the, the in-game content, we were getting that Formosa quality for, for Foley. And then they same with 2018, did the cinematics uh, fully. So we wanted to make sure that whenever you go in and out of cinematics, you're getting that same performance, the same artists, the same kind of quality. Yeah, that, well, that's funny. You took the words right out of my mouth. Go ahead, Michael. I was The most important thing too is like, yeah, improving on the gameplay stuff, but also having the, the cinematics. Like when you enter a cinematic as seamless as possible. Like, so when you enter it, it's like, it, there's no difference between from game to, to cinematic. It was our goal. Yeah, it's, well, it's very noticeable to an audio professional because it's not jarring, and I'm sure it's going to be not noticeable at all to the player, which is totally the goal. It sounded great. So we're running out of time here. Let's just kind of wrap it up with maybe kind of a fun question. Uh, if we can kind of go around to all of you, this is from Buck O'Brien. Are there any Easter eggs in the audio? And if you don't have that exactly, maybe uh, what your favorite sound or favorite moment that you took part in on the game, maybe. Do you want to start w with Steven there? Oh boy, I don't know. Uh, I, I did not personally put in any Easter eggs into this audio, I don't think. I played it pretty straight, this uh, this whole development cycle. But if I did, I, I don't even know if I would mention it if I did. Uh, no. <laughs> um, I think uh, one of my favorite sounds to do was the, the drum of Whale Island when you summoned the whale and, and working on that whole sequence was really fun just because I thought that creature was such a fun, unique uh, creature. Um, just the concept of like the there's this island that's on the back of a whale and you can go run around on it. I thought that was a brilliant design idea and just like fit in line so well with like the oversized aesthetic of God of War. And so that was a really fun moment uh, for me to work on. Bo? I may have used the Wilhelm. I'll, I'll tell you why. No, I didn't. I didn't mean to use it, but I used it. <laughs> so there's a scene where uh, Atreus and Kratos are trying to basically get Garm and fix Atreus' mistake from freeing Garm. They're trying to chase him down and just, they're trying to restrain Garm. And there is a moment where, you know, you go up this little ledge and then Atreus is trying to calm him and then Garm goes, no, I don't like you, and then runs off. But right before that, he's fighting a bunch of Hellwalkers. And Hellwalkers traditionally are a little more, like, not super iconic. They're kind of like classic zombie sounds, like, in, intentionally. And so it's very noise-based, so you can't really hear them. So he shakes off a bunch of Hellwalkers in the distance, and I wanted to, like, have a, a scream that cut. I'm like, dude, I don't even care anymore. Here we go. Uh, <laughs> Wilhelm it is. And, like, I don't know, you can not you can kind of hear it, but in the end it just sounds like a person falling off a, a gigantic wolf so it works out um but no like i didn't i didn't intentionally because yeah usually i do uh i usually love putting in easter eggs but i think when i started to work on these big triple a playstation games i i go all right i <laughs> on indie games it's a lot easier but on these games there's a lot of red tape and you gotta be really careful and yeah so i wouldn't talk like i haven't talked about s others so yeah <laughs> brian um, it's not really an Easter egg, but it was definitely when we were, when we did some field recording way back when we, I think probably in 2019, when we were trying to capture some IRs and doing some other slingshot recordings in the desert and Painted Valley. And one of our sound designers, uh, 
Prin, he just has these really great big reactions. And so I think we were recording stuff and he'd always go like, what? And just like, wow. And it was all captured on, on like on the recording and we we thought it was really funny. And then so I, for me personally, I was like, I'm going to put his voice. I'm just going to put it somewhere uh, in, a game, in every game I work from now on just because it was just, just like a fun time. And it, so it's like a little challenge to myself, but I won't say where it is. But I do want to say, like, my one of my favorite things that I got to do when I worked on this project was is just working on Atreus. This was back before like, when I when I first started. Atreus was kind of like my boy. Like, here, take him. You know, you're, you'll you'll get to work on him. And then watching him grow up from playing 2018 uh, God of War and then working on this project, it's just really it's almost like he is my boy. You know, so I feel pretty uh, protective of him and, and glad to see where he's ended up. It's just really awesome to work on on him in general. Alex, do you have a favorite moment? Yeah. So, well, kind of an Easter egg-ish thing. So I just had a baby. She's great. But during production, my wife, Emilio, was pregnant. And we had this little baby Doppler, like, uh, I don't know what it's called, sonogram thing. Anyways, you can listen to the heartbeat of your baby. But it has a 3.5 millimeter output jack on it. So I recorded... Yeah, it's meant for headphones, but uh, you can get it as an output. Exactly. You can also plug in a Sony PCM-M10 handheld recorder. So I recorded it just for a minute or so. In the game, maybe two-thirds of the way through, there's this giant area called the Spark of the World where you meet Surtur. Spoilers, but he's going to turn into Ragnarok eventually. So I kind of had a very slowed down, very processed version of that baby heartbeat, but like in the Spark area where it's like glowing and it's all primordial and crap. That's pretty fun, Easter egg. Um, In terms of my favorite thing that I worked on, I didn't really have a lot of things that I did like by myself, (laughs) but uh, I really liked the uh, Sindri's house area, the Realm Between Realms. I did most of that myself, with also some help from uh, Nobudo Masuda-san from Japan, helped out a little bit as well. But I feel like that area to me, I really liked, because it's just very calm and tranquil, and it's supposed to be kind of like a, a, a place of reprieve from like the rest of the game's harsher environments. So I think I had a lot of fun working on that, and I'm happy with the way it turned out. Mike, you get the last word. What, what was your uh, favorite? I would say the the yellow, the Gallerhorn. It's a unique, a fun story. So my friend Andreas Armstrong, he, he uh, used to be the audio director at Dice. We're talking about Battlefield games. We're, we're really good friends, and we're having a conversation one night. And I just asked him straight up. I was like, because he he lives in Stockholm. I was like, do you know anybody who anybody who specializes in Viking horns? He's like, I do. And I was like. <laughs> Oh my God, this is crazy. So he introduced me to this guy, Johan Hallmark. And I started talking with him and I realized this guy, like he's a horn player. So he's like super like into like horns and like just how they work. And he started like sending me all this documentation of like crazy horns, like this horn called the bronze lure. Look it up. It's insane. He he was able to uh, acquire one through his sources. He got this professional horn player who plays in this, uh, I guess it was to be a, a Viking like a uh, folk band called Waderna. Look them up. They're amazing. But again, this is over COVID, so I couldn't go there. So I'm talking to these people, and we're trying to arrange it. We ended up getting Boom to go up there, and we recorded these horns. There's a few horns we recorded in multiple locations. Then I got all that source back, and I was able to create the yellow horn out of that source by processing it and stuff like that. But yeah, it was insane. And like that that library is on Boom. You can buy it, or it's free. One of the two. I can't remember. It's either, yeah, they, they just released that library, but that's all that horn recording that we kind of put together. So that was like one of the funner things to work on. And then, of course, like the spear and then Thor. 
that's really all I had time to do besides supervise. So, but yeah, that was super cool that we actually were able to get that done. Uh, and I, and Andreas helped out. So, and he's up in Bark Studios now, but yeah, amazing. Well, thank you very much for talking to us today. I mentioned it in the intro, but I haven't mentioned it to you directly. Congratulations on the award. I think it was just last week that you got the uh, Best Audio uh, at the Game Awards. That's amazing. I saw a bunch of you post on Twitter your reactions in the crowd at the awards. It was uh, fun to uh, see that. It sounds like it was an awesome night. Thank you for talking to us today, and uh, congratulations on the success of uh, both the game in general and your amazing work on it. Thank you so much. Thanks. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Tim and Mark. That was fun. Thank you, guys. That was awesome. Thank you. Wow, that was a great talk. Thanks to Kevin Gann for volunteering to edit this episode. Kevin is an audio engineer and sound editor for post-production and game audio, currently open for work. You can find him and all of his socials at www.kgsounds.info. Thanks a lot, Kevin. For his work on this episode, he will be getting a copy of Sonic Spring Sound Library by Katrina Amsler. You can find a link to this awesome library on this episode's page at ToneBendersPodcast.com. We have one final episode for you all coming in 2022, and it's a goofy one, where the ToneBenders team hangs out and plays an audio-based trivia game, and we have a lot of fun. It will be coming out just before New Year's Eve, so make sure you check it out. Until then, on behalf of the Ragnarok Sound Team, my co-host Mark Kilborn, my name is Tim Muirhead. Thanks for listening to the Tonebenders Sound Design Podcast. Tonebenders is produced by Timothy Muirhead, Renee Coronado, and Teresa Morrow. Theme music is by Mark Strait. Send your emails to info at tonebenderspodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter via at the Tonebenders and join Tonebenders Podcast on Facebook. Support this podcast. You can use our links when you shop with Amazon or B&H or leave us a tip. Just go to ToneBendersPodcast.com and click the support button. Thanks for listening. Are you looking for more audio-related podcasts to listen to? ToneBenders is part of the Audio Podcast Alliance, featuring a hand-picked selection of the very best podcasts about sound. Be sure to hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org. 